Amen. Let's stand again. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And I, we want to start talking about some of the great stories of Christmas. And, and these are amazing. You've got to think and just kind of, it's easy to kind of get these stories and kind of know them and, and not to really think about them. And I want you to think about them. I want you to think about the wonder of these stories and the awesomeness of God and, and why he told, gave us these stories. So, so look with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and we see that in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the, at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell on, upon him. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth and he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Father, we thank you for your word and, and pray that some lessons out of it today would come alive in us and you would stir us in them that we can walk in obedience to you. Help us to know your way and to walk in your way in Jesus' name. Amen. When you dig in deep to some of these stories and begin to understand why the Lord put a, a message there, you see this portion of the story where Zachariah and Elizabeth had no children. This was a big deal. It was a big deal for a couple of reasons. Uh, they knew the Messiah was supposed to come through them, and, and, and they wanted to be a part of that. And, and if you don't have a child, that's, you're, that's kind of the end of it. The other, the other aspect is so much in, 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 just nat in, the, in the law of the day and other things that were passed on uh, through the children. And so they, this was seen not just as um, a physical issue or as a tragic issue or as a disappointment. It was seen as a curse from God, which had to be very, very confusing for Elizabeth and for Zechariah, who were so desperately trying to please God, who were living in such a way as to give honor to God. In fact, the Bible says living blamelessly in every way before him and yet embarrassed in front of a community because the community saw them as for some reason under a curse because they hadn't had a child. The only real connection I can draw with that for us today about this curse is we're supposed to be fruit bearers in winning the lost and it should be felt to us as a curse if we go stand before God and we haven't been a part of drawing lost people to Christ. That should be a heavy thing. It should, should be a heavy thing. God, why am I not being used? 
So here, here they are going through. So now they've, they've got to the point they have been praying and praying and praying and praying for God to answer, and God hasn't answered. He's been silent. He's, he's ignored their plea. And, uh, and now, in the normal course of things, Zechariah, as an older man, goes to Jerusalem to serve in the temple as the priest would at that, at, from time to time as their division would be called up. And, and, and lo and behold, as an older man, his name gets drawn by lot to do a job that many, are, many of us were told many times is a one-time-in-a-lifetime job. He's missed it all of his life, and now as an older man, he gets the opportunity to go do this thing as an older man. And, and he walks in. His name's been drawn by maybe thousands of names, they, they say, may have been a, a part of that drawing. And his name was drawn, and he goes in, and he's doing the task. It's such an honorable thing for him to get to do it. And in the midst of this, an angel of the Lord shows up. And I, and I just want to tell you, just read through the Bible about when angels of the Lord show up. Uh, it's a fearful thing. I believe there's angels in the room around us today. I believe if you saw them, they'd have to calm us down. Because it's a fearful thing. These are awesome creatures of God. So the, the angel's calming him down, and he says to him, uh, Zechariah, your prayer's been answered. And you might wonder, well, which one? And he reaches way back into one that either, you know, Zechariah really, interestingly, as an older man, was continuing to pray, or one that he hadn't prayed for a while. We don't know which it is. But he looks at him and he says to him, your prayer's been answered. You and your wife are going to have a child. And he's going to be great. He's got some work to do, and he begins to explain the things that he has to do and begins to tell Zechariah all this amazing story about what's going to happen. And, and Zechariah is kind of blown away by the whole thing. And time is, time is elapsing. He should be done by now. He should be out by now. And, and Zechariah probably has, has some awareness that I've got to go out and I've got to tell people what happened in here. And, and so the, he's telling him, you're going to have a child. And, and Zechariah, and even in the face of being in this really holy place with an angel of the Lord says to, says to him, uh, how, do I, how do I know this story's right? How do I know this is right? Now, I'm, I find myself, when I read a story like that and the Bible doesn't fill in all the details, trying to think, why would I have said that? Now, why would, what would have made me, I mean, an angel of the Lord standing in front of me, what would make me say, how do I know this is true? And, and, and I can only imagine, and, and this is conjecture, this isn't scripture, so don't go write any doctrine on it, that, that maybe Zechariah was thinking, I've got to go out there and tell these people that I saw an angel of the Lord. Here I am, an old man. My wife's an advanced in age herself. And I've got to go out there and tell them an angel of the Lord stood in front of me and told me I'm going to have a son by Elizabeth and it's going to, he's going to be great in the eyes of God. Yeah, yeah, I want to make sure I got that right because if I don't have that right, they're not going to forget this story. I'm going to, I'm going to hear about this forever. I, I, so he says, he says to him, how, how can I be certain? Now, if, if that's the case, then maybe that's why the angel looked at him and said, okay, I'm just going to take that problem right off your plate. You're not going to be able to say a word until it's all fulfilled. Well, I don't know if that's the reason or not. 
But that's what the angel of the Lord did. The angel said, not another word until it's fulfilled. Now, you look at these stories and you have to ask yourself, why are they in the Bible? Why did God put this story in the Bible? Oh, God was telling the story of you. Yeah, but here's what John says at the end of the book of John. John says that there are so many stories around the life of Jesus that if you took time to write all of them, it would fill up libraries, volumes and volumes of, of things that happened around the life of Jesus that, frankly, we've never heard about. They, they weren't reported in the Gospels. And so you say, well, well why, why weren't they reported and, and why, why were some reported and why weren't others reported? And, and it comes down to understanding what the Bible is all about. The Bible isn't just about telling stories. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a purpose in the stories. There's other stories that Jesus did that were miraculous. You know, you say, how do you know that? Well, I, I, I'll tell you where, where I get an idea of it. When Mary calls jo Jesus over at the, at, the, at the wedding feast and the wine has run out, and she says, get my son. And she says to him, the wine's run out. These people are going to be embarrassed. And he says, well, what do you want me to do? She knows he can do something. There's a reason she knows he can do something. She's seen something that makes her know he can do something. Are you with me? So she says to him, do something because she knows he can do something. Now, we don't know what that something was. We don't know what she saw before then. But Jesus has done something that makes her know Jesus can do something. So there's stories we don't know. The stories that are here are the stories that are meant to be here so that we can learn something and so that we can grow in who God is. So this is a story in the Bible so we can learn about God. So here's the first thing that we learn. God speaks to Zechariah. And he tells, through the angel, and the angel tells Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and he gives him a name. He doesn't just say you're going to have a son and call him whatever you want to. He doesn't just say, you know, take this son and, 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 and put your name on him. He says, you're going to have a son, and I'm giving him a very specific name. Now, he could have, God could have named him anyway, any name. He could have given him a name that meant warrior. He could have given him a name that meant judgment. He could have made, given him a name that meant, you know, holiness. He could have given him any kind of name. He gave him the name John. That's apparently a fairly common name. We'll run into a few more Johns throughout the New Testament. We'll run into a few more guys named John throughout the New Testament. We'll run into a few more. But he specifically said, he's going to be John. And there's a reason why he chose the name John. You know what the name John means? It means gracious. God's messenger was gracious. He was coming with a gracious message. 
He was this voice crying in the wilderness was a voice of God's mercy and a voice of God's kindness. That's what we find whenever we hear the the word of God is we find this voice of graciousness. God is about to do something good for us. He always is if we'll listen to his voice. A few years ago, my daughter, Jessica, was about to graduate from high school. She had been driving a a car my parents had purchased for that was a used car, and uh, it had a few problems. Uh, but she was, it was, it was a car. You know, she was a 16-year-old kid with the car. What she had to complain about, right? So, so she, and she didn't have to pay for it. She wouldn't make it, so, so she's happy. And it's right before a high school graduation one day, and I get a call from my dad. And my dad says to me, where's Jessica? And I said, oh, I, I forget, we were home or someplace. I said, she's here or there. I, said, I forget exactly where. I said, she's, he says, okay. He says, your mom and I are out at the car dealership. And would like for Jessica to come out with her car and meet us at the car dealership. I said, okay. He said, we're there right now. Get out here as quick as you can. I said, she'll be right there. So I hung up the phone and I go find Jessica. And I say to Jessica, Jessica, uh, Mama and Papa are out at the car dealership. They want you to get in the car and go out there. She says, why? No, 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 no. <laughs> when Papa's at the car dealership and he says, come by, you don't ask why. You get there as fast as you can. <laughs> He's not out there to do something that isn't gracious. He's out there to do something for you that's good. Get there quick. Boy, if we could learn that message about the Word of God, God's speaking to us. He's not calling us to bring us out and show off what he can do. Look at the new car I got. He's not out there to say, wouldn't you like to have that too bad? Too bad. <laughs> be nice, wouldn't it? You? You're, you're going to keep driving that old junkie. You think this is what, this would be nice. You're going home now. Thanks, thanks for driving by. That's not what he's out there for. That's not what God comes into our life for. God doesn't come into our life to say, oh, you've been having fun. I'm going to take that away from you. Oh, you think it's been bad so far? It's going to continue to be bad. You think things have been messed up? It's going to continue to be messed up. That's not why God comes into our life. God sends his message into our life because God is gracious. God is good. He has something good for us. And the more we get aligned with his word, the more we get aligned with his truth, the better off we are the better off everybody around us is going to be, the more we get aligned with God. God was sending a man to tell the people what was important, how they should be living, and that his son was coming. God was saying, hey, come on out here with me. Come go with me. Come follow. I'm sending a messenger to you because you need to come go with me. He was being gracious. There was something good in store. Don't you know that most of the biggest messes we get into in life are because we're doing something God didn't want us to do or somebody around us is doing something God didn't want them to do? Look at the messes of the world today. If, the people, if everybody around the world today would just start doing what God would have them to do, no matter which side of the thing you are on at Ferguson, if everybody would just do what God would have them to do, would the world be a better place? 
The world's a better place when we start doing what God would have us do. We get in big messes when somebody comes into our life or when we start doing something that God doesn't want us to do. And so the call is that God's message is gracious to us. It's a good thing, and it's going to be good for us when we choose to follow it. So he says says to him, he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. The children of Israel need to turn. Here's what, what we understand. Even the children of God, even you and me, we have a tendency to drift. We, we may start out looking the right way, but we, life has a tendency to kind of pull us off center. And we begin to start handling it in our own power. We start thinking through it in our own logic, in our own, with our own desires, with our own ways of doing things. We, we start working with our own senses, and it's not long until we have drifted far from where God would have us to be how we see life, what's important, what we should be focusing on, how important it is to be pursuing after God, how important it is to know his word, how important it is to pursue after him. We drift, and God's gracious in when we drift. He's gracious to send messengers to say, hey, you're too focused on this. You're too wrapped up in this. You're you're too worried about that. Come over here and follow me. Hey, you let that bother you too much. Your reaction to that isn't good. Come follow me. Come walk this way. God understands, and he is gracious in our condition. And in that day, he was sending an angel to come from from God to tell Zechariah, I'm going to raise up a boy named John, gracious, to give a message to people that will turn many. Many of them will hear and go, you know what? He's right. I need to get my attention back on being pleasing to God, on honoring God, on my life being honorable to God. It doesn't matter how everybody else acts or what everybody else does, even how they respond to me. My worry needs to be, is this pleasing to God? Is this honoring to God? Am I walking the way God would have me to walk? Because of it, many turned. God does the same thing for us today. God has sent his word for us today. The word of God is a gold mine of joy and gladness. The, the word of God is a, is, is a magnificent tool of being a compass for the right direction in our life. It is the mother load for us if we'll grab a hold of it. This is why we encourage you to read your Bible. That's why we encourage you to go to a small group and be in a small group where you can talk about how to apply the Word of God to your life. It's why we encourage you to get into a Sunday school class and be faithful because the Word of God, in a day when we can drift, the Word of God will keep us from drifting. When we are serious about following the Word and applying the Word of God to our life, instead of there being a drift factor, there will be a stay-to-it factor. We will stick to what we're supposed to do. When we sit and say, now how should I have talked today? How should I have responded today? What should be the sense of what's right, right and wrong in my life today? When we begin to apply the Word of God, but we have to be focused on the Word. All scriptures God breathe. It's all useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I know, I know. There's guys out there today that say, 
Oh, it's ancient books and old writing. Well, here's what I challenge you to do. Just go look at their lives a little bit. The men who are saying that, go study their lives. The Hollywood stars that proclaim that, go look at their lives just a little. You don't have to look very deep. And you will see a mess of messes. People don't know how to keep their marriages together. People don't know how to keep their kids heading the right direction. Drug and alcohol abuse of every sort. All kinds of messes going on in their life. All kinds of things. And they're looking at us saying, you guys got it all wrong. Listen, a little bit of makeup, and just because a camera's face face that, it doesn't mean you have it all together. You need to take a look at the, the men and women who are telling us how outdated the word is and where their tra- tra- the trajectory of their life is going. And then take a good look at men and women who've dedicated themselves to knowing the word of God and following the word of God and seeing where the trajectory of their life is going. I challenge you, friends, there's good news in the word of God. The angel gives us a message to turn us back to the Lord our God. There's good news in that turn. It's not God trying to take things from us. It's not God trying to rob us of joy. It's not God trying to put us under his thumb. It's God trying to bless us with new gifts. If we'll just go pursue the word of God. He goes on and says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This is one of, this is one of, of several passages in the Bible that is, very, is misused by many. It's misunderstood by many. It's a natural thing to misunderstand. It comes out of Malachi. It's a natural thing to misunderstand it because of the condition of our society. When you have a society where the father's natural affection for their children breaks down, there becomes disruption in that society. We are facing disruption in our society many times because the role of the father has broken down And the father hasn't fulfilled his role, even if he's in the home, he hasn't fulfilled his role as the spiritual leader of a home, of a man who takes the spiritual reins and directs things in spiritual ways. And so it's very natural to look at that scripture and say, oh, that's what that's all about, but it's not. It's not. It's true, we should do that. But that's not what this scripture is all about. This scripture is about something much much deeper than that. See, the children of Israel, the, the children of Israel were the, were, were, were the spiritual fathers. They were set apart by God to bring for the word of God to flow through them and for the Messiah to flow through them. They were the spiritual fathers. They made a mistake. They got pretty big-headed about that. They got so, so big-headed about it, they thought they were really special, and anybody who wasn't Jewish was kind of a dog and wasn't worthy. You don't find that through Scripture. You just find that through the actions of, of, of some of the spiritual fathers. And what John was saying was this. The hearts of the fathers, the spiritual fathers, are going to be turned back to the children. Who are the children? We're all children of God. God loves every one of us. And so you begin to see this message that begins to flow through John when John himself baptizes Roman soldiers, 
when John himself looks at the, at the children of Israel and says, listen, don't get big-headed about being a son and daughter of Abraham. God can raise up sons and daughters of Abraham out of the rocks around you if he wants to. Don't let that, don't let that go to your head. And then you'll see it through, as Jesus comes and Jesus begins to, to speak about the, 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 the world around us. And then as Paul gets this calling to go out to the Gentiles, what's happening? The hearts of the fathers... When, when the Spirit of God really began to move in the hearts of this new church that was being born, what happened? Their hearts began to turn, not only the children of Israel, but their hearts began to turn to the children. It began to turn to all the world. The whole world was going to be blessed through this message. All nations were going to be blessed through this message. This is a message for all mankind. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what economic background you come from, doesn't matter what nation you were born in, doesn't matter what your nationality was, doesn't matter how you were taught as a kid growing up. If you'll hear the message of Jesus, it's a gracious message that calls you, that says God loves you and has made a way to heaven for you. Now here's the message for us. The gracious message of John was that the hearts of the fathers would be turned to the children. Here's the message thus. When the Spirit of God lives in us, he turns our hearts towards those who are far from him. It's not a judgmental heart. It's not a heart about how evil they are and how wicked they are. And they may be wicked and they may be evil. But it's a heart of mercy. The church is the body of Christ right now. We are to act in mercy and love. When the heart is turned, you act in behalf of something. When you see a need and a need is presented and your heart is filled with the graciousness of God, it responds to the need. I've seen that in our church so many times. We get up here and we talk to you about a, a city, a community that doesn't have a, a well and and we want to raise money to put a well in and people's hearts turn towards that, your hearts turn towards it, and we don't just sit there and say, well, I hope they find some way to do that. You, know, you begin to give. Whatever it is, a well or a, uh, an earthquake or whatever it might be, when people's hearts turn towards something, when they look towards something, they don't just say, oh, I hope that gets better. They begin to act in behalf of whatever that is. He wants our hearts to turn towards his children. This is why we tell you, look at your life. Look at the people in your life that you don't know that they've really heard a clear message of the gospel. It's your responsibility. God's put your influence in their life. You have a voice to them. You need to sit down with them and share your heart with them. Share what's important. You need to write it out and say, this is what I believe about Jesus. And I, I just want to tell you, I want to sit with you one-on-one, -on -one, private. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to share my heart with you. Why? Because when the word goes out, it doesn't return vain. It doesn't return void. It'll, there's a harvest that comes with the word. You've got to put the word out because your heart loves somebody. You sit and you look at them and say, I love you, and I, I don't want you to go into eternity with without knowing what I believe to be the truth. But friends, hear me. That's, that's, God's given every one of us that opportunity. Maybe we haven't handled it well, or maybe we've not handled something else well, and it's got to start with an apology, but it needs to start someplace. God wants to call us to the, to the children of this world that don't know him and to be filled with the power of evangelism to share faith with them. Have you allowed your heart to be turned to the lost and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just? There is a message of the disobedient to turn to God. Disobedience is darkness. When you're disobedient, when I've been disobedient, 
I really thought I was right. I, I, really, I, I, I really justified my actions. How about you? When you're, when you're in disobedience, you don't want to hear the message of obedience. You wanna, you, you, that kind of makes you mad when you hear the message of obedience. Our eyes get blinded and our ears closed. Not much open. I remember talking to one young man for over a year, talked to him off and on. Boy, his eyes were closed. His, he didn't want to hear anything. Now, he just, he just, he just stand, would stand out here sometimes in the empty way. His parents would bring him to church. He just, you know, his head would be kind of cocked at me and he'd be looking at me. He just, he could just almost read the words in his eyes. Get away from me, you crazy man. I want, now, this was a young man who was getting arrested. This was a young man who was so filled with anger, he was trying to burn things down. This young man who had been kicked out of schools again and again and again is a very young man. This young man whose life was a disaster, but he thought I was crazy. His life's falling apart. His parents don't know what to do next. He came to camp with us. Not because he wanted to, because his parents made him. He was the most reluctant camp goer I've ever had. He wanted no part of church camp. But you know, about the third night of church camp, the light broke through the darkness. And when the light breaks through the darkness, you begin to see things you've never seen before. And with this young man, all of a sudden, everything that he thought was crazy before made perfect sense, and all the things he thought made perfect sense were crazy. It was a transformation moment. Have you had that moment? Have you walked in that time where a few minutes before you thought, what I'm doing here is okay, and then all of a sudden the Spirit of God moves in your life through a message, through a sermon, just in a private moment, and you go, Have you ever been there? I mean, I find myself at times, ooh. How could, how could I have felt that way? How could I have seen it that How could I have justified that? What? I've got to fix this. Why? Because disobedience is darkness. It chains you. It robs you. It keeps you from the light. And here's the deal. You can be absolutely in this moment filled with self-destruction. You're destroying yourself and those around you at pain. Take a, take a minute and look at it. Stop denying the truth for just a second. Your problem is your self-inflicted wounds. You want to blame others. You want to be mad at your dad. You want to be mad at your mom. Or you want to be mad at society. You want to be mad at your economic condition. You want to be mad at this, that, or the other. The real issue isn't any of those things. The real issue is what you've allowed those things to build in your heart. And because of it, you've become this, this walking wound that inflicts pain on yourself and on others every place you go. That is the walk of disobedience. And God in his graciousness doesn't look down at you and go, 
Well, that stubborn, hard-headed kid's just getting what he wants. He's just getting what he deserves. He, no, God in his graciousness looks at us. They've messed up for so long. I, oh, they're just so wounded. If, if, I'm just going to pour my light into their life if they'll open their heart to me at all. I'm just going to pour my light, and there's a way of rescue. And from the moment you turn to God, God will begin to rescue your life. He'll begin to transform your future. He'll begin to change what you've done. And instead of being a walking wound, you'll be a, a, a well of living water that pours out wherever you go. Yeah, give the Lord a clap offering. These deep, meaningful relationships that we're supposed to walk in. See, friends, what the world offers is temporary and passing. What Jesus offers is everlasting. I understand. I understand there's... There's things that feel good to the flesh right now and feel appealing to the flesh right now and feel, oh, feel, it makes you feel so smart. Yeah, you're brilliant. Train wrecks all around you. Train wrecks in your life. Going nowhere, feeling empty, but in the back of your head you're going, I got it together. That's disobedience. That's what disobedience does to you. Disobedience puts you in the middle of a cesspool and tells you you're at the beach. Are you hearing me? That's what disobedience does to you. And until you smell the cesspool, you're going to be laying out on your little raft and everybody that's trying to rescue you, you're going to be mad at them. Leave me alone. I'm enjoying my time at the beach. And they're trying to rescue you, and you don't get it until you smell the cesspool. Wake up. That's the message that comes. Wake up. See the disaster that's around you. See, here's what God's doing. He's getting us ready for him to come. Because if you're a Christian, you know that today we live in the middle of a fallen world. And we know how painful it is. We're aware of how much it hurts. But we have hope for a better day when this world's going to be healed and all the sin of this world's going to be swept away and we're going to be in heaven and we're going to be in the presence of God and this is going to be no more. In the meantime, we walk with the grace of God alive in our spirit. We understand that. We get it. We get that this world has, has, has this mess. So here, here's the, 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 the real deal is, is, is God's getting us ready for that day. He's preparing us for his coming. He's teaching us so we learn his word and we learn his grace and we learn his love and we, we get the infection of this world out of us even though it's around us. We get it out of us. This world infects us. We get it out of us and the living grace of God is alive within us. That's what we're working at every day. God Heal me of this spiritual infection and let me walk in your spirit of grace. Now here's the difference between what the world offers. The world says this, get everything just the way you like it outside of you. Get all the things that you want that please you. Get everything in order. Make everybody act just the way you want them to act and then you will be filled with joy. Well, that's nigh into impossible in itself. You can buy some things, can't get everything. Here's what God says. God says, 
Everything around you is messed up. It's a fallen world. Get Jesus inside of you. Let Jesus heal you from the inside out. And you will have joy and peace that only the believer understands. You'll face the obstacles of this world in only a way the believer understands. Jesus was to prepare Israel for Jesus' first coming. The church is to prepare the world for Jesus' second coming. Are you ready? Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reveals to us a right relationship with you. And I pray that, Father, everything that, that we've talked about today that's of you, that, Father, it would live in our hearts. I pray for believers here today, Father, that if we have, if there's some place where our heart needs to turn, we're focused on the wrong thing. We've just been caught up in, this, in the world that we're living in, and, and we've had spiritual drift, and now we have things that we think are important or that are bothering us or that are doing things in our life or ways that we see the world. That It's just happened because of spiritual drift. We've just gotten out of, out of focus. Right now, convict us. Let new love come into our heart. Let a new spirit of graciousness reign in us. Call us back to you today, Lord. Call us back to you. Father, don't let anybody excuse anything away right now. I, I just sense that somebody's trying to excuse something away. Don't let us excuse it away. Let us come back to you today. Father, I pray for believers today that we would, Father, love the loss so much that it would overcome our fear of proclaiming the truth. It overcome it. And that we'd love them so much, Father, that we'd have the spiritual talk and allow your spirit to move in their lives. Father, in Jesus' name, fill us with a new touch of your love. And Father, right now, in Jesus' name, Father, if there's those who are being disobedient right now, and they've, Father, they're in that cesspool, this world, there's train wrecks all around them. Let them wake up today, Lord. Let them see the lie of the gospel right now. Let them hear there's a better way right this moment. And let your light begin to pour into their life, Lord. And let them understand they need to surrender their life to Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. In Jesus' name. So every head bowed, every eye closed. You'll sit there today and say, hey, as you, Pastor, you talk today, my eyes begin to be open. And I realize I am having the fruit of disobedience in my life. And today, I need to start a new path. I need to put my faith in Jesus today. I need to step out and follow him today. I want a new life in Christ Jesus. If that's you, we just take your first step of obedience today to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. I want to walk in obedience to the Lord in everything that I do. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. I'm going to wait just a second. Give you a moment. You lift your hand, I'll lift it until I recognize it. I'll tell you when I see it. Yeah, I see that hand. God bless you. Others today, 
Others did across this main floor. You'll raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Anyone else today? Across the balcony. Anyone in the balcony today, you'll raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Father, you see the condition of every heart in here. If Father, if every one of us are born again and saved and following after you, then, then call us to full obedience in you today. Father, if everyone is saved and born again, then, then put a new passion in our heart for the lost. And Father, even when we would say, no, I'm not going to do that. I just can't do that. Father, let us know that's a love issue. That's a love issue. And Father, for those who raised their hand, I just pray in Jesus' name that, Father, as they pray this prayer with us here in just a moment, that, Father, you'll answer that prayer and begin to move in their life in a mighty way. We know you will. That's your promise to us. So we thank you for that in advance. Let's all pray this prayer together today. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I receive Jesus as my Lord. I receive Jesus as my Savior. And I ask you to help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Aren't you glad God is gracious? Amen. I know God's just, but I'm so glad he's also love. Amen? Amen. We love you. God loves you. Let's sing the song unto the Lord one time, and then we can be dismissed.